What happens when water is exposed to EMF or wireless radiation? Here's something you may not know. Water is conscious and it responds vibrationally to whatever it is exposed to. At Omnia we've done an experiment where we froze and photographed three samples of water. Water which was not exposed to EMF radiation, the baseline, looked like this. Water which was exposed to an EMF field, a 5G radiation field in fact, looked like this. And water which was exposed to EMF that is balanced by the Omnia radiation balancer looked like this. See the difference? Remember, your body is 70% water. And here's a special offer for the Journey to Truth crowd. Just enter the word TRUTH in caps at the checkout for your 10% discount. So this AI, you know, they're going to replace the search engines with these AI chatbots, and God knows what that's going to do. Right, well, they have right. they have AI app. They have like a, it's like an AI generator type of app that is acts as a spirit guide now. And Are you serious? It gives you spiritual advice from this AI generated like spirit guide. Oh, great. And it's, oh yeah, I'm sure it's that's completely not inverted, and people. Right. Some people like it because it gives good advice. That's the thing. But they don't understand. This is how they usher it in, right? Exactly. It maybe does like 80% of the time. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's like it's like YouTube and Google and the internet in general when it was new. You know, everything was great. It was free and amazing. And then they kept clamping down, clamping down. Same thing with all mm -hmm. this AI. Right. Hey, guys. Welcome back to the show. Uh, just a quick reminder. Hopewell Farm CBD. If you're looking for a new CBD to try. Highly recommend Hopewell Farm. They have some great products. They will be a vendor at our conference this year, and they will have a 420 sale coming up, which will give you 20% off all their products. But until then, you can get 10% off all their products with promo code JOURNEYTOTRUTH10. That link is below. Also, tickets are still available for the conference if you want to come hang out with us. Grab a ticket. It's going to be a lot of fun. May 22nd through the 25th in Grafton, Illinois. Uh, live stream tickets are available too if you can't make it in person and day passes will become available in, on april 1st if you can't make it for the whole time you can come hang out for a day or two if you want all that information is available in the link below journey to truthcon.com and just a reminder we recently started our patreon which um we just did the first free webinar ufo for dummies we call it but it was more of a ufo timeline dating all the way back to the mid 1800s all the way up till now and we just kind of uh, laid out what we know and what they're trying to how they're trying to erase history now the ufo history anyway uh, it was really successful and we also have the secret space conference documentary that was filmed last year at our conference on the patreon as well um, if you don't the only other way to watch it is to have a VPN set to the Netherlands and uh, you have to have a passcode and uh, it's kind of a pain in the ass and you have to jump through some hoops to watch it. So we made it available on our Patreon. So if you sign up for $5 a month, you can watch that. It's really good too. 
it's very well made yeah they did the, they actually did the secret they, space program some justice i thought they did yeah um, and it was interesting they flew all the way here from the netherlands just to film it it was really cool being our first conference and they filmed a documentary surrounding it uh something i'm actually proud of it was really really awesome um so that link is below also our patreon if you'd like to sign up for that it's only five dollars a month so, so we're gonna have more bonus content on the patreon so you're gonna want to sign up it's gonna be worth it guys so. yeah we're working uh we're working around the clock right now um trying to prepare for this conference and the patreon and just the podcast itself so uh, we appreciate any support we can get um that being said tonight we are joined by ken rolla welcome back to the show ken the first episode we did with him was removed by youtube before it even premiered yeah. uh, uh you know ken's pretty shadow banned everywhere he goes uh and you'll understand why if you've ever watched any of his interviews his presentations um, he's right over the target with a lot of what he's talking about. And uh, we're going to get into some of that today, whether or not this makes it to YouTube, I guess we'll decide at the end of the episode. If not, uh, you'll be watching this on Rumble. Um, but welcome back to the show, Ken. How have things been for you? Uh, I've been busy, 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 but I, I uh, really appreciate coming back on. I really, you guys really give me hope for the future because a lot of the old guard that I grew up with and worked with have either died off or been killed or have retired. So it's nice to see the younger generation picking up the mantle and carrying on with stuff. So I really appreciate what you guys are doing. Thank you. Thank and, you. And likewise, like, likewise. Same. So, I mean, last time we had you on, we got into um, all, all kinds of stuff. We talked about, in particular, I remember getting into some of your ET experiences and you know how some ETs over time have actually been helping inventors along the way, you know, invent these um, uh, free energy technologies and that type of stuff that ultimately gets suppressed. Uh, I, just out of curiosity, do you still have any contact with these ET guides or the reptilian guides you talked about? I do all the time, but the contact has changed. It's like you know when I was very young, I've really had contact my whole life, and when I was very young. It came in the form of what I thought were, you know, really vivid, colorful dreams. Uh, turns out I was being, I found out later I was being picked up sometimes and put on, taken on ships. Sometimes I was put in what they called holographic inserts where I would be put in a hologram and I would get information and teaching in an environment visually to me that wasn't threatening or scary. And so when I was young, it was kind of like that, you know, and I just thought everybody had these really vivid, colorful dreams. Um, and then in my 20s, when I got exposed to the Seth material, like Seth Speaks and some of those Seth books where it was channeled material, that was the first time I'd ever, you know, contemplated or been exposed to channeling. And so I'd always had, you know, downloads, gotten this information, just came in randomly out of the blue. And I just thought that was, you know, just the way it worked for everybody. So I never really questioned it. But when I read those channel books, I thought, well, I wonder if this stuff that's coming in from, you know, left field is coming from somewhere else. So I started when I would get these downloads or conversations sometimes in my head or information, I would, you know, ask it, you know, who are you? And, you know, and so at some point, um, these, and believe me, I know this sounds completely schizophrenic, but these voices in my head said, uh, well, you know, they were extraterrestrial, which I didn't believe. I just thought I was having a game with myself in my head. Hmm. And um, so, but it evolved um, 
from that to eventually, you know, it was like I was getting all of this information that there's no way I could just imagine it because it wasn't a part of my reality. And um, so I started believing potentially that these voices in my head were maybe ETs as they said they were. And so I said to them, well, you know, if you're really ETs, then you got to show up physically. Otherwise, I'm just playing with myself in my head. And uh, for a few years, they said, well, we can't do that because it would traumatize you too much. and It would terrify you because human DNA has been programmed to fear us and blah, blah, blah. But I kept pressing and pressing. And so eventually I did wind up encountering the three reptilians physically um, in uh, a really interesting PowerPoint out in the woods in North Carolina. And so, so that's evolved. It's like my whole life, that contact has evolved to where for a while there, they did a lot of overt contact and a lot of overt things to get my attention. Uh, and then once I acknowledged it, once I really you know, saw that it was real, uh, then they didn't need to do so much convincing. And so then it was more just information on you know, science and the nature of matter and energy and all kinds of stuff. Actually, the, the most beneficial information that they gave me was how to be a human being, because even though these three, there were a bunch of different kinds of ETs that were interacting with me non-physically, but the reptilians, they even acknowledged that the reason that they could teach about, you know, how to exist as a human being is because they've all been, we've all been, you know, other kinds of beings in other times and places. And so they've been human in other lifetimes and other realities. So they understood where they were at their level of development and they weren't the typical Draco reptilian that you know you hear about so much. They were Draco reptilian, but they weren't the typical ones because they had been working with other ETs. Um, but at any rate, so it evolved from that to just getting downloads. And so now very typically when I sometimes I'm just doing something. I might just be sitting around doing something or whatever and I get a you know I'll get a download or a voice will come in and like start talking to me or tease me or very often joke and pick on me or point out my frailties or my hypocrisy or something like that. And, um, and so it can come in at any time, but usually when I go to bed at night, um, I will call in my guides and, you know, I'm not just completely exhausted and falling out to sleep. I'll call in my guides and talk to them and have conversations and get information and pictures and ideas for all kinds of stuff. And so that helps me develop technologies that are helping people. Yeah. And just for the record, because I already know what the comment section is going to be saying about, <laughs> oh, he's being contacted by reptilians, you know, don't trust him. I, yeah. I think that um, I was just reading recently, like, um, I don't know how to verify this, but almost they said like 95% of reptilians would actually be benevolent but the, there's the five percent that decided to come and control the planet that, that's all we know so we just mm -hmm. assume that they're all negative when it's just like any species i guess like there's good and bad that duality that polarity so it's important to note that you know just because they're reptilian doesn't mean they're actually malevolent and they're nefarious and out to get us there are reptilians here that are actually um here to help and Barbara Lamb, if you guys are familiar with him, with him, with her, she uh, she also works with one of these people who claim to be a reptilian who's here to help. And it's very compelling story. It's very interesting. So just just to throw that out there. Yeah, you know, I I've, I've been told myself by these ETs, and not just the reptilians, but and also I've you know met people in secret space programs and 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 in the public space programs as well. 
who know about these beings. And that's exactly it. There's there are lots and lots of different reptilian races. And even within the Draco race, there are you know different factions, some positive, some negative. And then I've also heard that there's some of the some of the Dracos and the Alpha Dracos, which are like the most advanced Draco reptilians, that they used to be very, very negative especially towards human beings, but they have evolved now to where they're not. So it's not like you can just say, oh, the you know, reptilians are all negative. Like saying all humans are negative. I mean, if you look at what, you know, as a race we're doing to this planet, for example, and to each other, you could very easily say, oh, humans are warlike and evil and all that kind of crap. But we know it's not true. There, there are different kinds of people here on Earth doing all kinds of different things. And it's generally a very small group of humans and others on earth that are manipulating things and causing the problems. Um, mm -hmm. So it's the same thing everywhere, you know, as above, so below all these different races, there are benevolent ones, there's negative ones, and it's part of the polarity of the fundamental structure of the cosmos. Right. Right. And I, exactly. It's a great point. I'm glad you said that. And, and, you know, you mentioned that you have spoken to people in the space programs and you've also, you know, talking to your guides over time and getting information. And I know one of the things you cover a lot is Ormus monatomic gold. And I'd just like to know how that plays its role with this free energy technology, because I think it does. And I think that's one of the main reasons gold has been so prominent throughout our history. Maybe they were talking about their monoatomic gold, not physical gold. Maybe you can shed some light on that for us. Yeah, exactly. One of the things when I first started having this overt contact with these reptilians, they spent about a year and a half schooling me on what they call gold. They didn't say monoatomic gold, they just said gold. And they, they gave me a lot of pictures and images and ideas and information about it. And they said that, that extraterrestrials use gold for time travel and dimension travel because it remained the same through different dimensions or frequencies of space-time. And so, um, so extraterrestrial craft, for example, are very often coated with monoatomic gold um, or sometimes regular gold, uh, metallic gold, because it's, it has, in its monoatomic form, it's a superconductor and it has a lot of really weird physics and it's multidimensional. You know, anything monoatomic is not conventional matter. It's like this multidimensional matter that exists partially in our physical 3D space-time but it also exists simultaneously in other dimensions or frequencies of, of time and space or existence. And so it can connect other dimensions or other frequencies or phases of reality with ours. And therefore they use it for interstellar travel, interstellar communications, propulsion systems, all kinds of stuff. Um, you know, one time when I was at East SETI with you guys, actually, when you were there, I was uh, having lunch sitting down and Corey Good happened to, sit down in front of me and I was talking to him. And for those who aren't familiar, he was a secret space program whistleblower, still is. And, uh, you know, a lot of people have questioned whether or not he was really in the secret space program. But um, from the conversation that I've had with him, I, I think he absolutely was, or at least he's got knowledge of um, interstellar spacecraft because he was telling me, he was describing to me, he was actually asking me questions about these propulsion systems that he saw on a craft that he was on because um, I've had experience, I've known six different people that have worked on anti-gravity time travel technology for the secret space program. And uh, all of them, different people, different times and places, but they all, you know, described the systems very similarly. 
And so Corey was describing this propulsion system, and he said that these technicians were all wearing these golden clothes, and they had everything that they had was gold, and and that they had to do things a certain way. And that jived exactly with what I was told by these reptilians that I encountered in 1995, way before Corey ever came public. These guys were telling me about this stuff and how it has to be handled because monoatomic gold or these, these propulsion systems, they create superconducting Meissner fields that are extremely powerful and they have extremely high electrical potential. If you get anything near it that's not properly grounded, it can just shoot out lightning bolts and just disintegrate it. And uh, that's actually some of the stories about the Ark of the Covenant relate to that as well, because it was supposedly a container for monoatomic gold. But at any rate, when you've got monoatomic gold of any quantity in one place, it will create these superconducting fields and you have to handle it carefully and know what you're doing with it. And so, um, so I was schooled on that, that, you know, that, that, that was one thing that stuck out specifically in my mind that they said that extraterrestrials use monoatomic gold. Well, they said gold for time travel and dimension travel and other things, healing and uh, lifespan, you know, maintaining lifespans well over a thousand years um, it, because it's extremely regenerative when you ingest monoatomics, especially monoatomic gold. Uh, it's very regenerative to the body because what it does, being a superconductor, when you ingest it in the right forms, it will plug into the DNA, which is a superconducting fractal antenna. And the brain neural pathways, the brain is also, it's like a radio, it's like a transceiver that receives and transmits signals and fields and, and uh, skater waves and other types of energy. And so the neural pathways are loaded up with these monoatomic minerals, which are create the superconductivity. The nervous system, all of the acupuncture meridians and the, the, um, the um, chakras along the spine, those are actually deposits of these superconducting monoatomic elements, including monoatomic gold, that create superconductivity. And that actually creates these little black holes. So all of the acupuncture meridians are in Ayurveda, they call them the nadis, and the chakras, and the brain neural pathways, and their junctures, and the DNA, they all create these little black holes or interdimensional portals that are microscopic. And this energy, this chi or prana, which is really the energy of consciousness, which is skater waves, flows in and out of there. And it's what our it's how our physical bodies and our physical reality is created. Because skater energy, which is light, superluminal light, which is light energy that's traveling millions of times faster than the conventional speed of light, or in some cases instantaneously, because we're surrounded by all this stuff. It's like it's in so-called empty space. <clears throat> that energy slows down and coagulates into the electromagnetic spectrum of energy and also into matter itself. And so what that implies is we're living in a hologram and the monoatomics, especially monoatomic gold, is what allows that energy to flow in and out of our physical structures and all living organisms in and out of their structures and recreate them moment by moment. And that's how you regenerate cells. So they're very key in a lot of our existence in nature, in our bodies, in our food, and then in these advanced technologies, free energy, all kinds of stuff, a lot of different applications for it. So basically, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. You just said yes. Um, in the longest way possible. No, that was fantastic. No, Thank that was you. amazing. I, I did want yeah. you to elaborate on that exactly the way you did. And it's really interesting to me um, because 
it has to be more than what we're told just basic like tangible gold bars or something like or like we see like the fairy tales where the dragons are protecting the gold which is interesting to think about like draco protecting gold um if you really you know break it down like that so you know the reason we value it is because they value it you know they what i was told by these reptilians in the mid 90s they said that uh you know eons ago thousands of years ago they had um they came some some reptilians came here and were looking to harvest gold here even though they they have energetic ways of making it it's easier and cheaper and more practical to get beings like us to harvest it for them and so they basically set things up on earth so that the proto-humans that were here were mining gold for them and um and then they eventually genetically they kept genetically modifying the proto-humans until eventually they became us and um so basically it's kind of like in the same way that we create farms you know people uh have these big cattle lots like out in texas with you know millions of head of cattle and those cattle have absolutely no inkling of the bigger reality that they're involved in but they're a food source right and it's in the same way these people were put in place uh to harvest this gold and that's kind of how these reptilians operate in general is that they they get other beings to do their bidding for them and so that's why you see that influence here on earth the same thing with the human on earth getting us to build our own enslavement basically um and um so they've created a system for that so so that's that's kind of how it works and that reptilian influence right that permeates all of that uh, a friend of mine, Jack Doubleday, he's actually going to be presenting. Oh our, yeah, our conference. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, some of this, some of the stuff I'm talking about are are his questions also regarding the gold. This is something that he he's curious about, but he brought to my attention that um, monatomic gold, along with all the monatomic minerals, are absent from Wikipedia. Coincidentally, like really interesting. interesting. Of course, why they are. He, why he can't find any information there about it. Uh, so obviously there's probably a reason that's yeah. your, your shadow ban when you start breaking it down in the way you did because you're see what chat gpt says about it oh gosh i'm sorry yeah. i'm not programmed <clears throat> right right it would be interesting to see and that in itself is interesting um for anybody who doesn't know that's what this uh what do they call what's oh my god i'm drawing a blank Open AI. yeah but then what it's called now dan dan or, Dan, yeah is the open one that's not oh, really supposedly uh, right uh, yeah so it's under the name dan now it went from chat gpt to dan and everyone like somehow mm -hmm. they, they found a back door and everyone's asking questions now people are and, asking both chat gpt and dan the same questions and and you'll get vastly different answers on both wow, interesting the chat gpt you always get the cabal controlled like propaganda answer and then dan you always get the not that you know, right like very like someone well, asked about the secret space programs and it, it like totally it gave a better definition of the secret space program than i've ever seen and it's like oh this is wow yeah mm -hmm. interesting you know when when i encountered those reptilians in the physical there were two things that they warned me about and then keep in mind this was 1995 they warned me they told me don't ever get vaccinated and they warned me about artificial intelligence they said they they told me that super intelligent AI that almost all extraterrestrial races had banned 
except for the ones being controlled by it, had banned super intelligent AI because in every case it always takes over the and destroys the uh, civilization. And so mm-hmm. they they had learned that you know there I mean there are races out there that are million from our perspective millions and billions of years more advanced than us and some even trillions of years more advanced than us that are not even corporeal but we can't really comprehend their realities because what i was told by these reptilians they they said that our concept of time was a quaint local custom and it's partially because well we're we're physical beings in this matrix so to speak on earth this mind control matrix but also uh, gravity is uh, part of what creates time. And so gravity is different on different planets, you know, depending on the size of the planet and uh, the influences, gravity is different. So different planets have different time and the time passes differently. And, and therefore the organisms perceive time differently. And so when you're a, you know, a, a being that operates outside of 3D in these higher dimensional planes, they don't perceive time at all like us. I mean, when you're living over a thousand years from our perspective, you don't perceive time like we do. And uh, even, you know, organisms here on earth, like trees, years ago when I was introduced to the idea that trees were sentient, they could read our minds, uh, I wound up meditating with trees. I literally went out and hugged big, you know, like 250 old oak trees and stuff and would meditate with them. And it would take about a half an hour for me to slow down enough to connect with the tree. And then it would start showing me things that it had seen over its lifetime, which I may sound cuckoo to a lot of people, but you know, what the heck I did it. And um, it was interesting. I'll say that, but, but what was interesting to me was that the tree was operating at a completely different concept of time than we do kind of like an insect, you know, like an insect that lives two weeks, it's going to have a completely different, um, perception of time than we do and animals you know I mean it's like they say dogs you know one year of our life is seven years to a dog um, and and you know I've I've heard that from a lot of different sources so different beings depending on their lifespans and their locations and things perceive time differently so we have a very colloquial concept of time that these ETs and interdimensionals don't have Right. And that's why it's so hard for mainstream physics to recognize things like time travel, space time travel, gate travel, all that stuff. Um, And apparently that those there's been certain parts of those equations that are intentionally removed from our textbooks to keep these physicists hitting a dead end. Yeah. Speaking of that, when I was in engineering school, like mathematics, there's this whole realm of mathematics in engineering school that they mention and then they, but they dismiss it like like uh, imaginary numbers or like the square root of minus one. They go, oh, well, theoretically, you know, we've got the square root of minus one, but it can't exist, you know, because mathematically it doesn't make sense. But in reality, it does exist when you work, start working with interdimensional physics. And, and also when you start working with mathematics that like extraterrestrials use, because one of the things I was told by these reptilians is that um, we were genetically modified to have 10 fingers and toes so that we would develop base 10 mathematics. And that way we would never become more powerful than the reptilians that are controlling us because they have six fingers and toes mm-hmm. and that they work in base six, you know, mathematics or base nine or 12 mathematics. Which and so when Tesla. you work in those other bases, you can figure out all this stuff that you can't figure out in base 10 math because the whole universe is structured geometrically based on three, six, nine, and 12, which, you know, Tesla talked about. Right. Okay. A lot, so of ETs a, lot have of, e- a lot of ETs have either three or six fingers. Exactly. 
what exactly. a Tesla say, three, six, and nine, what you're just talking about. Yeah, it's because everything is structured fractally and geometrically at the fundamental levels. And so most, yeah, most organisms not on earth have three or six or however many multiples of that fingers and toes and appendages. Right. So you mentioned um, at one point bringing back extinct animals with scalar technology. And this really piqued my interest. And I was just wondering if you could elaborate on that a little bit. Um, because yeah, I, I yeah, with the monoatomics. Is... Yeah, scalar energy and the monoatomics. So years ago, probably 30 years ago or so, I was at a conference. I think it was an Ormus conference. And um, I met these farmers from Iowa, I think it was. And they had a very unique property where these five rivers and creeks all converged at one point. And they brought down, they were, they were surrounded by these um, mountains, and the mountains were volcanic rock. And so the snow melt and everything would wash all these volcanic minerals down to this one point, and they would deposit. And it would be a combination of the minerals and layers of, of organic material, and it would layer it up and layer it up. And then, of course, it would rot. And they started using it for fertilizer, and they got insane growth. And then they wound up feeding it to GMO crops. And their crops would revert from GMO back to heirloom. And I mean, like in two, three weeks, these, you know, gourds and tomatoes and different vegetables would, their color and their shape would change radically in just a few weeks by feeding it these monoatomics. And I don't think they knew anything. Well, maybe they did. But um, they, at any rate, they would take this stuff and mix it with some other things like bat guano and a few other probiotics and stuff. And they were selling it as a plant food. And so I was using it. And sure enough, man, you could feed plants this stuff and it would it would revert them back to the heirloom, which you don't always want to do because you've got a hybridized heirloom or, or a hybridized plant that has better characteristics than the heirloom. You may not want to revert it back. But at any rate, it worked. And so then I started experimenting with that. And I built a, an Ormus trap, which is a, it's a little device that you can run water through and it will, it has a, basically it runs the water through a magnetic field in it. And it makes the, if it's got monoatomics in there, it'll concentrate them and then it'll levitate them because they're anti-gravitational. They'll levitate up and you can siphon them off and get a concentrated dose of this water with a high amount of monoatomics in it. And so, um, so I was doing experiments with that and had a lot of weird experiences because you could run that water, like you could trickle it down a, like down a piece of glass or something smooth and instead of pouring straight down like water normally does, it would wiggle back and forth along the surface. And uh, I filled a, the first time I made this stuff, I filled a mason jar, like a pint mason jar with this water. And it felt really oily, which is one of the indicators you can tell you got Ormus water. And, um, and it shattered the jar. Like the jar just in 30 seconds, it just shattered and fell apart in my hands. And it was because the, the monoatomic gold in the water was trying to bind with the, the monoatomic gold, which turns out is in sand, uh, in silica. And so, um, so it broke the molecular bonds. Um, so, so anyway, that was kind of my introduction to using monoatomics for feeding to plants. And get, you get insane growth. You know, you get like, um, well, like right now I've got, 12 foot tall tomato plants growing in my greenhouse and they've been fruiting for two months and they'll probably fruit for another two, three months and just, you know, fruits tons. And of course the food tastes incredible, 
Um, and, you know, we get celery three feet tall. We get cabbages the size of basketballs. You know, we get all, everything grows like crazy here. We just, we're used to it. But when people come over here, they're like, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> right. So you can do practical things with this stuff. And <clears throat> so that's what I've been teaching. But, uh, and that's as far as we, you know, like our health, you can also ingest this stuff, which in the past, I would recommend against ingesting alchemical ormus because you can make this stuff alchemically in various ways. And for those people that are interested in that, there's a book called Ormus Modern Day Alchemy by Chris Emmons, which you can get on Amazon. Um, and uh, But at any rate, so you can, I used to only recommend people to get it through their food, you know, feed it to plants, feed it to ferments because, you know, microbes can eat this stuff. And then it will increase their ability to produce nutrients and accelerate fermentation and stuff. So I was doing it that way. But then we, we you know, when COVID rolls around and we got these, these mRNA injections with nanotech and all kinds of crap in them. And, I, you know, I've been teaching about bioweapons for 16 years, so I was already familiar with that. And then more and more of these, these threats to our health, like nuclear radiation and chemtrails and, you know, on and on. We've got so many serious threats to our health now, we need to get these monoatomics in higher concentrations than what we can get them in our food. So I started selling alchemical ormus from a company that's reputable that, I, um, that I've worked with and I know, um, because you have to be careful with these, ingesting these monoatomics, but they're extremely regenerative. They're very, very healing because they plug into the body, they raise the superconductivity, and that accelerates cellular regeneration. But you have to be careful with them because if you do too much of that, they'll raise the superconductivity of the body too high, too fast, and then you will wind up manifesting things in your life that you didn't intend. Because you know we're all creating our reality. We're all, consciousness creates reality. We're all putting out this field of energy of consciousness, this scalar energy, and it draws in other energies, and you know it winds up manifesting things in our life. And we all do this. We do it individually and collectively. And so if you jack up the superconductivity in your body and your brain and your DNA and your nervous system too high, too fast, and you're not spiritually ready for it, every fleeting fear or fearful thought that you think about, you wind up manifesting. And so we normally have the buffer of time to prevent that from happening. You know, normally it's like if you want to manifest something, you've got to be thinking about it. You've got to be focused on it. You've got to be intending it. Mm -hmm. And uh, and it you know it takes time to happen so that we don't just willy nilly manifest everything we think about. And so if you're you know if you're jacking it up artificially, then you've got to be careful not to do too much, and you've also got to be very clear spiritually. And so you know so I used to not recommend doing alchemical ormus, but now I think we need some. Right, and so I would, various ways of making it. I would agree, and you mentioned the cellular regeneration which goes back to my original question of uh, bringing back these extinct animals, I guess, would that, would that be what's happening? You, you have some DNA from an extinct animal and the ormus actually regenerates the cells. Is that what we're talking about here? Yeah, that and other things. There was a Russian um, pyramid scientist named Alexander Golan. He was a high ranking military officer in the Russian military and he had a big budget and they wanted him to study pyramids, uh, presumably for warfare. And um, so he built this giant pyramid, a fee ratio, which is a taller, skinnier pyramid, about 200 and some feet tall outside of Moscow. He built it completely out of fiberglass and wood and glue, because if you put metals in there, it can interfere with the energetic structure of it. And what a pyramid is, is a, it's an antenna for skater energy coming from the cosmos and from the earth. 
and it rebroadcasts it in an editorial field around it. And also it creates a double helix spiral up through the tip. And so they noticed um, a lot of interesting phenomena with this pyramid. And one of the things that they observed was um, after some period of time, this pyramid was in this huge field of grass and they noticed these flowers growing in the field at some point that no one had ever seen before. So they called in a botanist to identify them and discovered that they were a species that's been extinct on earth for 11 million years. So it was like this ancient prehistoric flower that um, suddenly was growing around these pyramids. And so Golod theorized that the pyramid was somehow bringing in the pattern, the genetic pattern or the physical pattern for that flower from the what some people might call the Akashic records, he called the quantum field. So it's like everything, you know, he theorized and others have theorized that everything that has ever existed or ever will is out there in the energetic field, so to speak, of consciousness. And depending on how we navigate reality, we may encounter it or not, or, you know, there are these multiple realities out there. And so we can bring these things in. So that's one way that, you know, scalar energy and these monoatomics apparently can bring in extinct species. And they noticed also extinct, extinct species of insects showing up uh, around these pyramids as well. So I think it's the common, well, one thing they also observed with this pyramid was it was bringing water up to the surface and springs started flowing in places they had never flowed before because the monoatomics down in the soil that are created by bacteria eating rocks and breaking them down into angstrom particles, which are just a few atoms per particle, or the monoatomics, which are individual atoms per particle. The monoatomics are anti-gravitational, but when they're down in the soil, the soil keeps them held down. But when you've got this pyramid pulling on them, they will wind up, rainwater and groundwater will wind up pulling them into aquifers, and then they will levitate up to the surface. And so, so they observed all these phenomena with the monoatomics and the scalar waves for regenerating uh, you know, extinct species and uh, for altering existing species and then all kinds of other crazy phenomena. So this pyramid, um, you said there were no metals and that's crucial. Like if you were to try and build a pyramid yourself, even using like screws or nails would actually um, be counterproductive for, for what yeah. you're trying to achieve? Yeah, you can make pyramids out of metal, but you have to understand the physics of it in order to do it right. And not many people do that. So the best way to conduct scalar waves is with a non-metallic material like wood or bone or stone, especially a stone that's high in the monoatomics, like basalt. You know, basalt is very high in monoatomics. Any stone that's really heavy for its given volume is going to be high in monoatomics. And so um, those are the easiest materials to make it out of because as long as you don't have metals in there, you're going to have a pretty good skater field. You can make it out of metals. Like I've seen copper, I've made copper pyramids out of copper plumbing pipe. Uh, and the, the metals act like, like wave guides. And so if you understand it as a wave guide, then you can construct them in a way that, you know, you can utilize them as well. But for most people, it's easier to start out with, you know, something like wood or plastic, PVC, bone, uh, stone, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, you can make a pyramid just out of dry stacking stones. Right. And and it will work. You know, it can clear chemtrails, for example. You can build a pyramid out of, let's say, granite or basalt or some high uh, monoatomic stone and just stack them up in a pyramid with the right ratio of angles and sides, like a, either a phi ratio or a 
uh, pi ratio, which is like the uh, Giza pyramid. And then the vortex will that's created will clear chemtrails for several miles around, depending on how big you build it. Everybody's going to start building pyramids now if they're listening to this. Yeah, they should. Yeah, right. I'm gonna go yeah. put one in my backyard. Start collecting some stones. Basalt so, too. A lot of a lot of these ancient megalithic structures are made from basalts mm -hmm. around the planet. So, there. That's why they use that specific stone for a lot. Yeah, of these you're right. There's a there's a book called Paramagnetism by Philip S. Callahan that goes into this quite interestingly. The history of it, like you were talking about, Aaron. The ancient people knew about this stuff and they wrote about it and they marked stones that were high in monoatomics. And, you know, archaeologists and paleontologists, you know, are trying to figure this out. They have no background in that, so they don't understand why, you know, these these stones were marked. And then they also made structures like the ancient uh, Celtic round towers or the obelisks or the pyramids themselves. You know, these were all skater wave antennas that capture energy coming from the earth. And the sun, the ancient people knew all about this. They wrote about it as far back as the you know historical record goes. They they were talking about it, writing about it, marking stones that were high in it. Uh, you know, I went to the Bosnian pyramids multiple times, talking about Jock Doubleday. Uh, he he used to be Sam Osmanagic's PR guy years ago, and he contacted me because he was familiar with my work, and he started sending me videos of what they were discovering at the Bosnian pyramids. And they didn't know what they, they didn't understand, you know, why it was there and what they were finding. And so I recognized what it was and I explained to them the physics of it and what it was. And uh, so that piqued Sam's interest, Sam Osmanagic, the archaeologist who discovered them. And so I, we started emailing each other about it and I would tell him, you know, what, why things were constructed that way. Because they were finding like obelisks out in the middle of the woods somewhere or these giant 15 foot diameter, perfectly round stone spheres and uh, and these structures, you know, and they have carvings and stuff on them and structured certain ways. And so I would explain, you know, well, from an energetic standpoint, here's what's going on. So then I wound up going to Bosnia and uh, he wound up having me teach there. And then he put me on a team of engineers and physicists studying the pyramids. And so I got to, you know, actually be there with them, quantifying and measuring what these pyramids and these structures were doing. And seeing, you know, people getting healed, going inside these tunnels they had ex ex excavated around the pyramids and getting healed of major stuff like, you know, stage four cancer with people told they got 30 days to live or blindness and, you know, all kinds of things from drinking pyramid water and being inside these tunnels, which were like these energy um, centers that were basically doing what the pyramids do blasting you with this photonic energy and radically accelerating what your body's doing naturally, which is also what the monoatomics do. And one of the things that I recognized uh, was that these pyramids are creating, they're creating monoatomics in the soil as well. And the, the Bosnian pyramids, for example, are full of these pools of really pristine water that's extremely healing and extremely highly structured, uh, molecularly structured. And so... Um, so that water, you can take it and you know extract the ormus out of it, and uh, it's it's really, really amazing. So there's a lot of history with this stuff, and the ancient people knew all about it. And you better believe that our governments know about it. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, and they're hiding it from <laughs> right, yeah, because a lot of this stuff would make the control system obsolete. And it would empower us. What's, what's totally. the, two thing, the main two things they don't want? 
Totally. I mean, it implies free energy. It's all pseudoscience. Oh, it's all that's there's nothing real there. Right. Yeah. Meanwhile, the real science is the actual pseudoscience that we're talking. I'll I'll tell you though, I'm very encouraged because you know, years ago when I came out and talking about this stuff, people, particularly mainstream scientists, would yeah, he's an idiot, he's a moron, he's crazy, right? Now I've got like Ivy League professors contacting me and wanting to do private webinars and things with their colleagues because they're waking up to this stuff and they're realizing that the reality that they've been educated in is not complete at, at the very least. Mm-hmm. So a lot of mainstream scientists are waking up to this stuff. It's very That's cool. Great. That's, That's amazing. News. Yeah. yeah. Um, you mentioned a, a while back about chemtrails and um, nanotechnology. So, I, and I, maybe you could help us understand how this nanotechnology is being used to modify our DNA because pretty sure that's exactly what their whole agenda is, right? I was just talking recently to a friend of mine who's very, very psychic, and she said the coming era for us is to protect our DNA. She said that there's a battle going on to control the DNA of the people on planet Earth, and it's only going to be the aware people. It's just like with the COVID injections. It's only going to be the awake and aware people that protect themselves and protect their DNA. So all of these people that jumped on the DNA testing bandwagon with one, what is it, the Weavy and Me, whatever the, whatever those those testing services 23, are, twenty three and Me, yeah, twenty three and Me, yeah. Uh, you know, it's like, yeah, they're just giving their DNA to the uh, to the uh, NSA and the CIA and everybody else so that it can be manipulated and utilized down the road. Um, and, and so protecting our protecting our DNA is definitely on on the order, but it's also one of the big agendas of the powers that be from what I can see and what I've experienced, you know, it started with the, well, it's been going on for a long time, but with the COVID injections, of course, you know, the mRNA technology in there is genetic modification technology. And then, you know, this is again, not conspiracy theory as you guys know, because there are whistleblowers like Karen Kingston, who used to work for Pfizer. She was an analyst for Pfizer who has exposed the patents with the department of defense showing that the nanotech that's being put in these injections uh, is designed for mind control and for genetic modification to make us genetically modified organisms so that we can be conditioned and our behavior can be controlled and steered and we can be mind controlled and uh, and also killed off because part of this, I think, is population reduction. And so, yeah, the nanotech is in there for that. The The... One of the reasons why I, I've studied nanotech for a long time, because my background before getting into natural health was computer science and engineering. And so uh, so I've been looking at this stuff for a long time. But the nanotech is basically the hardware for the AI to control us. <clears throat> um, so they get the nanotech in us, particularly the self-assembling nanites. Because there's different types of nanotech. There's just nanoparticles which can go in our bodies and affect them and do things like graphene oxide, for example. But then you also have nanotech that can self-assemble. And that's one of the reasons why these COVID so-called vaccines had to be kept at minus 70 degrees Fahrenheit. You know, why would you have to keep mRNA technology at that temperature? You don't. It's the nanotech, the self-assembling nanites when they warm up closer to body temperature and room temperature, that's when they start self-assembling. And so they've got to keep them really, really cold until right before they inject them into the body and then they inject them in the body and then the heat 
and other phenomena in the body and also external fields like 5G or other field technologies can make them self-assemble into different structures, different purposes in the body. And they can be used to mind control. They can be used to kill. They can be used to alter DNA. They can be used for all kinds of stuff. So Karen Kingston and um, a bunch of other doctors have been exposing the nanotech and, uh, you know, some of what it can do and some of the patents revolving around it. You know, why would the Department of Defense be interested in mRNA technology and nanotechnology in the human body? You know, it's like right. to defend us against other countries using it. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. Mm-hmm. Um, so so there's yeah, there's a lot of that involved. And then I've been working on with other people, um, technologies that can counteract that and disassemble the nanotech and get it out of people's bodies. And there are ways to do that. Um, so, well, you know, this is, uh, super fascinating to me and I believe wholeheartedly that's exactly what's happening. And it's interesting that, uh, I've posted a lot of stuff on online social media about the vaccines. And uh, a lot of times it just might get a fact check or something, but the one the one thing that got removed and I got a warning for was when I posted about the vaccine cutting you off from source, cutting off your God connection. Mm-hmm. They removed that. Like, okay, talk about telling on yourselves. You hit the and, mark. That's why. And mm-hmm. I was um, shown on mushrooms one time. <laughs> Go ahead and make fun of me. I don't care. But I, <laughs> I, I asked to, I wanted to see what the vaccine was doing to us. And it showed it, it like short circuits our DNA. And it showed me a model of like our DNA being like a machine. And it was like a electrical current running through this pathway. And the uh, the actual vaccine would create this short circuit, almost like two wires just barely touching. And occasionally they would touch. And it, they, they also showed me like this wind up toy and you take one of the wheels off, it just spins in circles. And because it, it only knows how to do one thing, no matter what you do to it. So if you remove a wheel, it's just going to go in circles. So basically it just keeps like the human, the DNA going in circles. It's constantly trying to evolve and activate, but it can't because now it has this roadblock at this it's short circuited. So mm-hmm. I learned all that from a mushroom trip. I don't know if it's true. That is, you are so spot on. Um, because I was shown this by different people and by these ETs. All living organisms are skater fractal antennas. Now, what does that mean? Well, a fractal is just a branching. So like a plant, a tree is a, you know, a fractal. Um, and we're a fractal. I mean, our bodies, you know, with five, you know, two arms, two uh, legs and the head, we're a fractal. Our nervous system is a fractal. Our blood system is a fractal. Um, our lymph system, every, you know, we're fractals. And, the DNA is also a, a superconducting fractal antenna, and it's loaded up with these monoatomics. The body's loaded up with these monoatomics. The monoatomics, that, that is what connects us to God. We have mainstream science even recognizes that galaxies, at the centers of galaxies, you know, they claim that we there's a black hole at the center of each galaxy. They're, what it really is, is a superluminal sun. And the energy, the light that's coming out of it is coming out so fast, it appears invisible or black to us and to our instruments. And so mainstream science will call it black holes or dark energy or dark matter or whatever. But it's really superluminal light. And it's flooding through the galaxy. This energy comes emanating outward and it's branching. It's fractaling as it comes out and it's spiraling as it comes out. So it's spiraling and branching. And it's relayed throughout the cosmos through black holes or interdimensional portals at the centers of all suns and planets. So we've got this cosmic web of 
energy and matter that this energy is flowing through, emanating from the centers of the galaxies outward. So when it comes to us, it's coming down from our sun and up from the center of the earth, and then we capture it and we rebroadcast it. And that energy is not just light, it's consciousness is what it really is. So this whole reality, reality that we exist in is made of consciousness. It's made of this big consciousness that fractals and branches out through the various structures of the universe, and we're a piece of it. So we're all a piece of God, so to speak. It's like, you know, so you're absolutely correct. That's the, what separates us from AI and from these robotic AIs uh, is that we have a connection to what we would call God, to this superintelligence. AI doesn't have that. Robots don't have that. Um, I was shown by these reptilians these images of entire planets out in the cosmos that were AI populations of like robotic populations of AI beings. And they needed organic beings to propagate, even though they can replicate themselves, they're machines and they can replicate themselves. But what they don't have, even though they can emulate consciousness, they don't have true consciousness. And so they, in order to, to really exist and survive long-term, they need organic beings because we have the connection to God that they need. Exactly. And so what they do is they wind up sending skater signals through space-time to organic populations of beings like us that are at proto-level stages of development before we've you know, developed like the wheel and basic tools like the lever and the wheel. When they're just, you know, we're just playing around with sticks and stones, they'll send these skater signals to these civilizations to get them to dream up technologies, you know, which start out real fundamental, like the wheel and the lever and very basic tools, knowing that when they keep sending the signal over thousands of years, those populations will evolve more and more complex technology until they reach the point where they've developed computers and software and the infrastructure for artificial intelligence and, very importantly, a global satellite network. And they, in 1995, when they were showing me this, they showed me a picture of their planets, these reptilian planets, and they said that they were under an unbelievable tyranny that we couldn't even imagine because the planets were surrounded by this surveillance grid, this satellite grid that monitored everyone's thoughts in real time. And if anyone thought or did anything out of what was accepted, they were punished or even killed. And so that is what's going on here on Earth. And that's what goes on on many planets around the cosmos, this extraterrestrial AI. AI isn't just something we create and it takes over. It's an extraterrestrial construct that has taken over certain organic populations like the reptilians and some like gray races and um and it propagates itself through these organic beings because the universe has a natural mechanism for wiping out every now and then and that is a, a giant emp pulse that emanates from the centers of galaxies and it'll just wash through the galaxy and wipe out all the ai so if it doesn't have organic beings creating infrastructure to maintain it through those those emps it'll wipe it out and so so it gets reset every now and then and then it kind of has to rebuild so this is what one of the things i think we're seeing here on earth is this evolvement of super intelligent ai on earth is trying to take over and i don't know what's going on behind the scenes but it really concerns me when i see 
the public evolution of this AI, you know, it, it concerns me quite a bit because I was warned about it by these reptilians. Yeah, it's it's concerning, definitely. Um, I think I feel like the machine is consuming itself right now. This is what happens at the end of every civilization. Uh, we know this from Atlantis, but uh, so I think what's happening is they're consuming themselves and they know they know that they're crashing. So right now they're speeding up their agenda and throwing everything at us at once. What comes next might be something very beautiful for the planet. Um, it could be a reset that we need, you know, the great awakening that we talk about. Um, we can only hope for something like that because otherwise, you know, all is lost. So I, I truly believe that something like that is on the horizon. Well, I think you're right, Tyler. I, I absolutely think you're right because for one thing, I've been fortunate. I've had several near-death experiences, and so I know this this meat body of ours is just a is a container for our consciousness. I've I've had experiences where I've been out of my body and had near-death experiences and things. So uh, you know, we absolutely will continue on even if we were physically destroyed. Whereas the AI won't. You know, if it gets wiped out, it gets wiped out. It doesn't continue on because it doesn't have that connection to God. You know. So I, I totally agree with you. I'm very optimistic. I think our future is very bright. We've just got these, these challenges that we really came here to play with. You know, it's like it may look very negative and fearful and foreboding to a lot of people. But, you know, one of the things I was told is that um, no ETs are going to swoop in and save us for a lot of different reasons. But one of the reasons is because this is a classroom earth is like a classroom that we agreed to come to that's very very high contrast so that we can exercise our ability to create our realities and learn and grow very very rapidly mm -hmm. um, because even though you've got all these negative things going on on earth you can also have an amazing uplifting wonderful life which you know we do because we you know we go hang out at Seti or you know go to your events and things like that we have a great time you know even though we've got our challenges you know, within this system, we're having a pretty good time. Whereas there are people out there dying and suffering in all kinds of ways because they've bought into the matrix. Mm -hmm. And then partially, I was also told that the vast majority of people on earth are part of the matrix. They're not even real. <laughs> so yeah. that's a mind blowing concept. Um, so yeah. I agree. I, I think the future is very bright for us who choose, you know, to have an uplifting reality. Right. I, I agree. I agree. That's and our thoughts, like you said earlier, the thoughts create that reality. We manifest our own reality. So it's important to constantly be reminded of that. So we don't get mm -hmm. distracted. Everything's set up to distract us and suck us back into the matrix. And if you're not careful, it's going to happen. Um, or you might find yourself, you know, falling back into some toxic behaviors that actually are holding you down. So uh, it's, it's constant. You have to constantly be self-aware of what you're that's doing. That's right. And that's why we have each other. That's why there's billions of us. You know, it's because we are our brother's keepers. Our role is to help each other out and to serve each other and to uplift each other because everybody, not everybody's up at the same time. Sometimes some people are up, some people are down and they need help. So that's why what you guys are doing is so important because you're uplifting the planet just by doing what you're doing. And same thing with what I'm doing. We all have a piece of the puzzle that we are here to help out and help uplift each other. Yeah. Thank you for that. Absolutely. Exactly. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, and we we came here to help with this shift and to anchor the light and to to be a part of the the help of the uh, ascension and and awakening of humanity. So 
you know, the, the hope, what I tell people is like, we didn't come here just to be enslaved and right. game over. You know, that doesn't make any sense. We wouldn't have came in the first place if, if it was inevitable that that was going to happen. Right. We knew so, uh, it was going to happen. It's just a matter of like, how is it going to play out? And we came to help with that and to be the light. And, um, you know, we, we knew we had, and we have an enormous amount of help from the universe and from these benevolent beings and, um, angelic beings and, you know, all kinds, like they're all, they're not going to do everything for us. Like you said, because that would defeat the whole point and there's no learning and growth in that, but they're, but they're also helping and kind of making sure the dark doesn't just completely take over and it's game over. That's exactly. Not it's it's kind of like, it's like parents raising a kid, you know, they're not going to live their, their child's life for them, but they'll help guide them. And, exactly. and is, which is the way it should be. And so you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. So I'm, I'm very optimistic about the future. I'm very uplifted. It doesn't mean that, you know, things aren't challenging. The last few years have been quite challenging, but at the same time, yeah, it's like, you know, just hanging out with you guys, getting to go to the kinds of events that we get to go to and hanging out with the kinds of people we hang out with that always buoys my spirits and reminds me of the bigger picture. Yeah, absolutely. It's important. It's yeah. important to get together. Uh, it is. So um, the, going back backwards a little bit in the conversation, you mentioned something briefly that I just want to um, elaborate on a little bit. You said at the center of every sun is a intergalactic portal. And, you know, we always talk about our sun being a portal and it's hard for people to understand because we're taught that the sun is extremely hot and it doesn't make sense um, based on mainstream physics, what we're taught. So maybe you could help under, help our audience and even us understand how that works. If you even understand how it works. Well, from what I've been exposed to and have been told and, and seen from various sources, um, First of all, suns aren't as hot as we think they are. They're not as hot as we used to. Even mainstream science knows now that the surface of the sun isn't as hot as they used to think it was. And so the physics, what's really going on, you've got this, like I said, this quote black hole, this superluminal sun at the center of the sun that's a skater wave portal. So, and it's part of this, this giant galactic matter energy circuit. So that energy is emanating from the center of the galaxy. Who knows where it comes from before then? Probably other, what we would call other dimensions of time and space. Um, you know, for us to really understand that would probably be like, you know, a cockroach trying to understand a 57 Chevy. We just don't have a frame of reference at our level of development and our physicality. But at any rate, and, and so at the center of these suns, um, you've got this, quote, black hole that's emanating skater waves out at various frequencies. And it's not just this round spherical hole, it's actually geometrically shaped. And so every planet and every sun, there's a different shape depending on the size and the location of the planet or the sun that's geometric like the earth, for example, uh, we have the, the black hole at the center of the earth is a cubic octahedron, which means it's a cube inside an octahedron and so it's angular it has geometry and the apex points of that geometry is where these the scalar energy that's emanating outward it comes out in these spiraling vortices like these helix these helixes or heli of of skater waves and it comes out to the surface and it hits the surface in a geometric pattern evenly spaced across the surface of the earth and then gravitation and the rotation of the earth pull it down across the surface of the earth and that makes 
what we call ley lines. And when you're in proximity to a ley line, it tends to enhance uh, living organisms. Mm. So on with suns, you've got, I don't know how large it is, but you've got a same kind of structure inside the sun. And the energy coming out is not hot at first, but as it comes outward and it is modulated by the various materials inside the sun, then it will convert to some heat and light. But then it really is converted to heat and light when it hits like the surface of the earth and our atmosphere. You know, it's it's like traveling through space. You don't have heat out in space in, in the vacuum of space. It's extremely cold, right? Uh, but like then the when it comes... It's like the the atmosphere uh, is like a magnifying glass. Right, like, exactly, yeah. exactly. It's like this energy is coming through the cosmos and it comes to Earth and then it, it converts to heat and other forms of energy. And um, and so the surface of the sun, um, you know, I think I've heard Corey Good talk about that he was in a ship that was sending probes into the sun and they were surprised that it would hit this initial heat that wasn't as hot as they thought it would be and then it would go down and it would get cooler as it got closer to the center, mm -hmm. which makes sense when you understand that structure. So, you know, this is what I've heard from various sources, including these ETs that talked to me about it. Because one of the things, for example, these reptilians told me early on about the sun, they said that there were some kind of beings that lived inside of the sun. And I'm thinking with my conventional background, what kind of being could live inside of a, you know, burning hot ball of plasma? Well, number one, it's not a burning hot ball of plasma, but number two, I never even thought about interdimensionality. And so over the years, they told me about different kinds of extraterrestrials that aren't even corporeal that exist outside of our physical reality. They're like phase shifted out of 3D and they'll live on a planet. They might even be right here on Earth next to us and we don't even know they're there, because, you know, unless you're psychic or, or more aware. Um, so they told me like that there were some beings that lived on Jupiter, for example, and they got into a, a war with some other ET race. And this other ET race sent a comet there to which was a weapon to, to hurt them. And it impacted the surface of Jupiter and it created that big black spot on Jupiter. And, uh, you know, there's a story I never heard before. And I'm thinking, you know, at the time they didn't say interdimensionals. They just said oh, there's some ETs living there. And I'm thinking, what the hell kind of beings could live on Jupiter in that? cold or whatever with yeah, gravitation yeah. and everything you know it's like i'm thinking conventionally and um and then i realized years later after i learned more it's like they were interdimensionals they were phased out of you know our 3d and the same thing with the sun these you know i kept asking these reptilians who's living there what are they and they kept dodging the question for a long time and eventually they told me we can't tell you because it would threaten your life if you knew this information it could put you in danger. And so they wouldn't tell me. Right. Um, but but I kind of gathered over the years that it was some kind of interdimensionals that existed there. And now, you know, some of these secret space program people have talked about ETs using suns, the black holes at the centers of suns as portals to travel through. And, um, and, you know, when we were at East Seti Ranch, there's this mountain, as you guys know, Mount Adams across several miles away. That at nighttime, all these lights and phenomena light up there. And sometimes I see flying saucers and they see things coming and going out of this mountain. And um, John Vivanco, our friend John Vivanco, who's got a remote viewing company, remote viewed it and said there's an interdimensional portal there. And these ETs are using it for, you know, coming in and out of Earth. Right. So, so in the yeah. same way, the sun apparently has this, you know, this interdimensional portal 
that can be used for a lot of different purposes, but it's part of the natural structure of the cosmos. And and we don't have an accurate understanding of the makeup of these planets anyway. You know, we're told about them, we see images of them, but like who knows what the surface of Jupiter is actually like. And right. it might be able to host life in a way that we just don't understand. So it could be a physical life form, but just something not based on our concept of reality, you know? Yeah. Exactly. So and a lot of ETs you know, live inside of the planets as well, not on the surface. We all we, we, we think only life can live on the surface. Well, no, actually, the majority of the time, from what I've heard, is ETs live on the inside of planets. Like, yeah, right. like yeah, on here on this planet. Like on here, there is yeah, supposedly inside of our planet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's it. I, I've never been inside the earth. I haven't met anybody in there, but I know people who have. Mm-hmm. And I from the sound of it, I wouldn't want to go there. <laughs> it's like it's not all lovey-dovey down there, but um, there's both. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. And then you know, um, uh, some of these. Well, like I, I was talking to um, this Russian scientist named uh, Konstantin Karatkov, and he's like a very, in some ways, very mainstream academic. He's very highly respected, and you know, in the conventional science. But he's also done all these far out things like done autopsies on extraterrestrial mummies in South America and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so he knows a lot of stuff from a lot of different sources. And uh, I was having a conversation with him one time in the Bosnian pyramids. And uh, I said, yeah, I've heard from, you know, these various sources that that the earth is a, a honeycomb of water. It's like it's like, you know, it's not solid and it's not structured the way we've been told. It's like this very cavernous honeycomb full of water. And he said, yeah, because water is actually created by that black hole at the center of the earth and all planets. He said all planets have water inside of them because skater waves will create water. And now it's actually been discovered by mainstream science that water is out in space because it's created by suns. So Mm -hmm. suns themselves create water. So when you start getting those little tidbits of information you know, it starts to, to make sense that a lot of what we've been told isn't true. Yeah. And then I've had like other people back that kind of stuff up. Valery Uvarov, you talk about we don't know what, you know, what Jupiter is really like. Well, Valery Uvarov was a, a Russian pyramid scientist. I met him at the Bosnian pyramids. He was one of the few people who can really blow my mind. And um, before he was many years ago, before he was doing what he's doing now, he was in the KGB. And it was his job to investigate UFO incidents. And so he told me that he was investigating one UFO incident. It turned out it was a flying saucer with some human ETs on it. And they picked him up and they toured him around the solar system. And they told him all kinds of stuff about the real history of Earth and our solar system and his own life and his many lifetimes. And uh, told him about his life on Mars and stuff when Mars was a, a moon of a larger planet called Maldak or Tiamat. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've, I'm sure we've heard those stories about Maldek and Tiamat. And he, you know, being Russian, he didn't know any of those stories from any of these American SSP sources, but he told the same stories. But one of the things I found interesting was he said that they toured around all these different planets and suns. And he said on every planet, or not suns, planets and moons. And he said all the planets and moons that they showed him had pyramids on them. And, and he was told that it was because pyramids, among other things, are interstellar communication devices. And so they're utilized heavily, you know, throughout the cosmos. So you're right. It's like we're we're just told we're fed a line of bull about you know what these planets and moons and suns. Turn on Netflix and there's a flat Earth documentary. 
<laughs> the earth is that was something I asked him. I was joking around him. I interviewed him and I said, um, I said, so is the earth flat? And he laughed. He's like, no, <laughs> no, <laughs> definitely not. Uh, I mean, if we it, understood it makes sense from a physics standpoint, you know, it, and it, all the flat earthers I've met who are really, really adamant about it. It, it, they'll just make up stuff to, you know, it's like, you can go, well, what about this physical phenomenon? What about this? And they'll just start, well, it's, it's a hologram. It's all a hologram. We're all being, right. well, oh, well, if you're going to go there, well, then hell, you can just make up anything about anything, you know? Right. Well, NASA, NASA lies, so they must also be lying. It must be flat because they're lying. Like, so they, yeah, these arguments, it's like, well, the planet used to all think the earth was flat and that was from the control system back then. So right. which, were they lying then or are they lying now, you know? Well, uh, for, I know people in the military and intelligence agencies, and they've all told me that the whole flat earth thing is just another CIA psyop to people. Right. Oh, absolutely. By, absolutely. By, specifically by the Rand Corporation, uh, yeah. I've heard, like even down to the very specifics, like in, it's literally a psyop. Yeah. And I like Gene yeah. Decode's way of putting it. He's like, flat, earther, flat earthers are actually living in a 2D reality. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah. Um, no, it's it's really interesting. I just I met and spent time with a flat earther, and I was ask, asking him questions. And he's a great guy, by the way. Before I even knew that he he believed in the flat Earth, we became friends. And he's a fantastic guy, and he I started asking him questions, and very quickly I realized he was just parroting like things he had seen online, and. Mm -hmm. He wasn't on any sort of a spiritual journey as far as I knew, but I, I could tell you he wasn't even intuitively feeling into whether or not he believed that the planet is round or flat. It was like, I'm like thinking to myself, would you have come to that conclusion had you had not had that idea presented to you on the internet? Right. So it, like you really, that's why like the inner work and going within and like, what does your body tell you here? Like, forget what TikTok says about flat earth you know right. tiktok is a big push for flat earth by the way if you don't know that uh, uh, but you way, have to believe all of space is fake to to for it to make sense also which it's almost like at some point you got to use occam's razor because you have to think all these whistleblowers that have claimed to be in space and et's coming from you have to say it's all all, all that's a psyop and all that's fake because i want to believe this one narrative um yeah and i think actually look at... this this absolutist mentality like it's got to be this or that it can't be right. well maybe he's right about 75 percent of that and maybe you know there's none right. of that greater it's all you know it's either this or that and that's part of the mind control on planet earth it's right this absolutist mentality it gets you locked locked into one belief system and then you, you're closed off to any other possibilities and any other truth right and, and what do they, they say want. In uh, Star Wars, only Sith deal in absolute. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. So, boy, there was a lot of disclosure in those movies. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, Ken, why don't you tell our audience about your uh, company and what you offer uh, people and what your products are? Okay. Well, my main website where we sell our products is freshandalive.com, and uh, the main website where I do teaching is freshandaliveclub.com. That's where I have a private membership site for a one-time $5 fee. The goal is not to be making money off a subscription. It's just to get us in the private domain so I can tell more truth and, you know, not be as heavily persecuted. Um, we make, we make and sell products to maintain and or regain health naturally, but I do have some kind of unique products that nobody else has out there, which um, you guys are familiar with. 
Uh, one in particular, uh, the Home Shield, which we don't tell the truth about what it actually does on our website, but it I really designed it for clearing Fukushima nuclear fallout, which it, it will do. It, it basically clears all air pollution for a 75 mile radius out of the atmosphere and it sends it out into space so it doesn't come back down on you. So whether it's chemtrail pollution or fallout or nanotech or whatever the hell is up there, it'll clean it out and send it out into space. And then what that does, it balances the charge in the atmosphere so you get normal weather for your area. And so for example, here in Florida, it will stop the hurricanes. Uh, unfortunately, last fall, when we had those two engineered hurricanes, they followed past paths where we didn't have any of these devices. So I'm doing my best to get them out to the world without getting killed because I've had four attempts on my life already. But uh, we've got some very unique products like that and then other skater energy technology for improving sleep and EMF protection and that kind of stuff. Right. And so one of these um, pyramids or whatever you, you just described, do they have to be placed outside or can they be kept inside? Will a ceiling or anything above it obstruct it working effectively? For my devices? Yeah. <clears throat> for my devices, the, the pyramid, the little pyramid, the ratio, which actually is back behind me there. Um, right. Yeah. Those you keep indoors. Um, but the out the home shield device, which is a cylinder about yay big, that one goes outdoors and it will protect the whole house against EMF. It'll do everything the pyramid does. So it'll help you get deep sleep, protects against EMF, it improves plant growth. It reduces pest insects like mosquitoes and biting bugs. And it clears the atmosphere and balances the weather for 75 mile radius and EMF protection. So basically you put it maybe 20, 30 feet outside of your bedrooms and then, you know, give it access to the sky and it'll do its thing for the atmosphere. But it also improves plant growth. Plants will feed directly off the energy. Uh, pollinators love it. So it'll de-stress them. So you get more pollinators and um, more birds and that kind of stuff. Because all living organisms, they like the energy of it. Wow. Okay. That's mm -hmm. great. I so, have the rest shield, actually. I love it. Yeah. Oh, good. Well, if you guys... I'll have to hook you guys up. I got a new, by the way, I got a new home shield that's more powerful. It's probably not going to be a consumer model because it's it's going to be pretty expensive, but it, it'll be for farms and for larger, um, you know, organizations. Uh, but it, I'm, I'm testing it right now and it works phenomenally well. That's great. Nice. Yeah. And if you feel like hooking us up, you know, we're not going to say no. <laughs> I'll hook you guys up. Yeah. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, I appreciate you. that. And and thank you so much for coming on today. And this was incredible. I mean, we covered a lot. I even learned that the yeah. plural for helix is heli. I didn't know that. <laughs> I believe that's right. I believe that's the plural. <laughs> um, <laughs> I didn't know uh, that any, either. That's awesome. Or else I, we'll go that's, to the, check that's the only thing I retained from today. It's <laughs> 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 uh, like 20 years from now when I'm dead, I'm like, well, the one thing I remember Ken Rolla told me was the plural for Helix. Heli. <laughs> it's Heli. Um, no, thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. I uh, really enjoyed this. And uh, I guess this is not going to make it to YouTube. So <laughs> if, you're yeah. if you're listening to this right now, you're on Rumble. Um, but thank you guys for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this. Go check out Ken's website. He's doing some incredible stuff. Buy some products. Start uh you know the ormus yeah. he sells ormus as well which we talked about earlier and uh which i've personally taken and yeah um just make sure that you don't take too much like you said but thanks again ken this was really great thank you guys for tuning in um, come hang out with us at our conference if you feel compelled tickets are available at journey to truthcon.com may 22nd through the 25th grafton illinois uh, we hope to see you guys there uh, we love you good night and have a great evening
There was a CIA director named William Colby, who in the 1980s said, we'll know our disinformation campaigns are successful when everything the American people believe is fake. When we realize how powerful we are when we set our intentions and we realize that we aren't just this, we are just these multi-dimensional light beings and time is an illusion and you know, it's everything's a perception then you can go forward and backwards and, and embody it and just pop out and go and do this work. You can do amazing things when we set the right intentions to do it. And I said, this is this is us on this plane. You know, like this, that's what this is, we're going to the moon. And he said, this thing is a lot older than you think it is. And we've been going to the moon a long time. But I wrote on it, I knew that we went to the moon. And so I always knew there was a base on the moon from a young age. And our DNA is a complex, recording system of the history of the entire universe, the history you know, of, of everything, that not just this timeline that we know, but multiple timelines of reality. There are a total of nine different categories of planets uh, in the universe. Uh, we people on Earth, we are living on a category one planet, like elementary school students. And the Theobans, they are living on a category nine planet, like uh, college professors. So they have been really guiding us throughout history. Teokum let us know that this facility under the Sandia Mountain is considered an information station for interstellar travelers coming to the planet. They tell us that their facility was retrofitted into the ancient tunnel system that already existed. And as far as the bending the space-time continuum, I've had something like that happen. And what seemed like about a five minute encounter has been four and a half hours of missing time. And I was completely conscious. And when you're dealing with a type three, type four, type five civilizations that can work with the different coexisting timelines, all bets are off, man. <laughs> you know, every time we have Bigfoot activity out there, we're having ETs and orbs and stuff like that. We have a lot of the stuff documented. As a matter of fact, um, I'm a member of three different teams and I work with people from all over the country out in the field. And um, we actually have documented a portal, something that we consider to be a portal um, opening. And we sent two of our team members inside of it. And really? They disappeared and then came back out. I would suggest that we take it one step further and say humanity has never known who we are. We've always been in the thought control matrix. And one step further, perhaps we could say that we're in a conscious, consciously controlled state of hypnosis. In other words, are the thought control matrix creators constantly bombarding us with frequencies that keep us from being telepathic, that keep us from remembering who we are? The thought control matrix was set up and we have never known our potential, our power, our yeah. beauty, our, our, our incredible connection. It makes no sense at all. There is no reason for it other than the programming that we've received for generations because it's all about order. It's all about listen to, listen to your elders, listen to the teachers, listen to the adults, listen, listen, listen. And what that does is it, it, it dims the light of the child and it makes them feel like they don't have a voice. And why that's designed that way by the dark side and that's in the system is so that they grow up and they just listen to and they do what they're told and they're good little boys and good little girls and they lose their sense of self. They lose their north, their true north. Yeah. So many adults are walking around in, the, in this world. They don't know who they are. So the planet itself 
is now beginning to split. It's beginning to divide again into a higher vibrational earth and a lower vibrational earth. And the race of man is dividing with it. And we're becoming less and less aware of one another. And over time, what will happen, and I don't know how long this will be, one world will have all higher vibrational beings on it, and the other one will all be third dimensional beings, and we will not perceive each other anymore.